In 1972, a crack commando unit was sent to a liturgical prison by a canonical court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security diocesan stockade to the ecclesial underground. Today, still wanted by the Vatican, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, then you should listen to Libra Cristo War College. Good morning, Jess. Wednesday War College. Uh, thanks to the uh, the St. Michael Shields for for that intro. Uh, welcome, Dan, and uh, and welcome, Kyle. We've got uh, a lot planned for today. Uh, hey, uh, Kyle, I'd like to know what is uh, Kyle Clement doing these days in terms of uh, teaching the Liber Crystal methodology and or some of the programs that you're teaching right now that some people may be interested in participating. Good morning, men. Thank you for the opportunity, Jesse. And so let me run through this pretty quickly. Um, the first one is uh, Reclamation Theology, which is a Zoom retreat that starts this Sunday, the 18th, runs through the 23rd. Uh, this will be a morning reflection. Define Reclamation Theology, because some people are going to say, what is that? Define it. Okay, so Reclamation Theology, to reclaim the theology of tradition. What what have we lost? And I'm going to return to this in just a minute, and I, I think that we'll spend the first section with the help of Dan and you uh, talking just exactly about what Reclamation Theology is. Um, this retreat is uh, starts with a Sunday evening um, conference. It'd be a conference each evening, a reflection point in the morning, and so we can think about it during the day. This is our first time to try this kind of secular setting retreat, but I would encourage you to, to think about that. Uh, on the 23rd of uh, October, that's a Sunday afternoon, uh, 2 p.m. in the afternoon mountain time, there is an hour and a half long Zoom presentation on uh, authority, the, the functional structure of authority. This comes out of Father uh, Ripperger's Dominion book, as well as some recordings, and so there's some prerequisites for that. There is exorcist training in the spring, mental health professional conference, a laity conference, then there's summer retreats, father-son, mother-daughter, and couples retreats directly with Father Ripperger. Then in uh, March, not to be forgotten, in March, uh, over the Feast of the Annunciation, is the Virgin Most Powerful Spiritual Warfare Conference in, in, um, in California. So for information on all of these, go to Monte Cristo, M-O-N-T-E-C-H-R-I-S-T-O dot net, or Libercristo, L-I-B-E-R-C-H-R-I-S-T-O dot org and ask for more information or click on the, the, the programs. Now let's talk about reclamation theology for just a second. Okay. So all of you guys uh, that are listening out there, reclamation theology is reclamation of our heritage, nothing short of that. Uh, faith is just simple, simply one part of our Catholic heritage. It's a central part, but it's it's just one part. Um to give you an example, we started this week, this week, Sunday, in the ancient, in the in the older, in the tradition calendar, not the ancient calendar, but just within a hundred years ago, we were very aware of some dates and some times and some heritages, and our heritage is being systematically removed. It's being systematically canceled by homosexual and compromised clergy, by enemies of the church, by Freemasonry, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I am not a conspiracy theorist. I am, <clears throat> I am no theorist. Uh, 
<laughs> I'm simply speaking about what we're seeing objectively. Now let's go back and look at this next, this last week, simply through the eyes of reclamation theology. And then I'm going to turn this over to Dan for some comment so that um, you get a better perspective. Last Sunday was September the 11th. We know it as the terrorist attack, the attack of the modern Saracens, the Arab terrorists on uh, the World Trade Centers. The date was not picked at random. That date was the date of the victory, the routing of the coward Saracens from the gates of Vienna. All of Christendom stood in peril. Vienna had been under siege the whole summer of, of 1683, aided by the, the Turks were on the outside, and on the inside were the Catholic-killing Calvinists who were in league with the Saracens. And the agreement was the Saracens could have all the loot of the church. In a typical diabolical agreement, people make agreements with the diabolical thinking that they can somehow control them or that the diabolical would adhere to the agreement. Rest assured, the Saracens would not have been satisfied with the gold and silver and, and art of the churches. It would have been nothing less than the fall of all of Christendom. The sheiks, fat with the anticipation of the looting, gathered outside of Vienna in opulent tents. Golden thread sewed in multi-layered silks. These would later become the vestments of the Catholic clergy after the victory. The Polish cavalry, the, the Hungarian cavalry, showed up with the sun backlighting them, led by the Blessed Mother, and the Saracens were routed in the same way that Sinasharib was routed from the uh, assault on Hezekiah. That's the significance of September the 11th. That's what every Catholic should know. September 12th, yeah. Holy Name of Mary. Monday is the, was the Holy Name of Mary. Tuesday was a Fatima apparition, the 13th day of the month. Our Lady of Fatima appeared in, during that six-month series in 1917. Today is the exaltation of the Holy Cross. Tomorrow is Our Lady of Sorrows. We are in a week of military celebration, of victory, of uh, tropion of militaristic victory over evil. This is reclamation theology. Did we hear anything about that on Sunday in the in the pulpit? No. Did we hear anything about the holy name of Mary? Probably not. Did we hear anything about Fatima? Probably not. Were we aware that today was the exaltation of the Holy Cross? This is reclamation theology. I'm going to kick it back to Dan and Dan kind of fill in some gaps here and, and flesh this thing out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think I think what 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 Kyle is doing is is brilliant because it's reclaiming the tradition. I think we're living in a time where we've lost our understanding of tradition. We we you know historically the ancient warfare is the Vietnam War. Historically the church largely started at the promulgation of the Second Vatican Council. Um, so so we have to see the church in its entirety um, and regain some of the language because this is honestly and the reason Kyle and I beat this drum so much is because this is exactly the way the demon sees it the demon understands this language you're going back to in fact it was uh, uh if you did say it was the it was um it was the sequence read also on good friday it's called the panje lingua sing my tongue of the glorious battle this this poem goes back to um 
about 450 AD by an ancient Roman poet um, uh, named Arius uh, uh, Fortunatus. And here's that says, sing tongue of the conflict and of the noble victory procession too. How the world's redeemer was victorious when he was sacrificed on the tropion of the cross. Mm-hmm. We Most Catholics have no idea where that tropion comes from. In, but in ancient battle, this is this goes back to the first the, the first generation back to Justin Martyr, Tertullian, uh, and then on into uh, uh, origin, Cyril Jerusalem, St. John Chrysostom. So the first, so there's representatives east and west of how we understood the cross, not just in some juridical way that the, the Protestants that we've adopted from the Protestants, oh, Jesus died for us so that we can have life. Of course, that's true, but they saw the cross as a war memorial, a tropion is the war memorial. That's where we get the word trophy. And here's why. In an ancient battle site, uh, especially when it's heavy infantry, the, the ancient Roman battles, it was won and lost by heavy infantry. There was one point on the battlefield where one side broke, that, that somebody broke ranks. And when they broke ranks and turned, because the word tropao in Greek means to turn, but at that turning point, is where uh, the battle broke and, and the slaughter began. And so that spot marked the spot of victory. And so the ancient fathers talked about the, the cross, and we still use it today in our liturgical. Again, we read it today, St. Anne's second reading, in, in, in the, 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 the hymnody for today, for the office of readings. Um, this tropion, this spot, what they would do in this spot, they would take a T, like a, a, you know, a T, hang over that, the, the, the armaments of the enemy, their sheath sword, their chest plates, um, and everything. And at that point, that point marked the spot of victory. And fathers used that language and said, this is what Christ did. In fact, it even says we, in, in the new handbook, uh, I talk about a lot about David and Goliath. And the early church fathers, uh, and even in the second century, Talk about the cross as where Jesus takes the Jesus, our David, takes the sword of Goliath and decapitates Goliath on the cross. That the cross is a weapon. The cross is a, is a sword. It brings about our victory. And so this, this imagery, this is exactly the way the, the enemy understands this. This is exactly the way the enemy understands the battle. This is how he was defeated. There- there is, in fact, a line in the solemn rite of ex- exorcism whereby the, the exorcist brandishes the crucifix and says, Etrum crucium domine, behold, the cross of the Lord, be gone, you evil powers. And this is, this is a reenactment of exactly what Dan is saying, and it's constant. Wow. The, but, but again, we have to start thinking three-dimensionally. We have to start thinking beyond... Uh, again. Uh, um, minimalist understanding of scripture, a minimalist understanding of the church. I was in Germany not long ago when I met with, uh, I was over at one of the oldest seminaries there, and uh, there was a, a, a priest uh, from Africa that was working on his doctorate in something in scripture. So we got the talking, and uh, and I decided just just to be ornery, and we're in Germany, okay, the, the heart and soul of, of modern historical criticism. And uh, we're talking about scripture scholar, scholarship, exchanging notes. And I said, Dan, no, I'm Dan, hold that thought, Dan. Hold that okay. thought. Uh, hard All break. Right. We'll be right back. Wednesday war caller. Stick around. Talking about the power of the cross.
Wednesday War College. We're talking about the exaltation of the cross and uh, the power of the cross as a war memorial. Dan, you were you were making some reflections on the cross as a war memorial, and I just like I, I like what Kyle just said the last segment where he said that whenever you hold up a crucifix and you pray that. Uh, I think it's a St. Anthony of Padua prayer. Behold the cross of the Lord, be gone all you evil spirits. That every time you do that, you're reminding the demons of how they lost at Calvary. You're, you're reminding them of that defeat on Calvary. Dan? Yeah, exactly. Here's what St. John Chrysostom says. How, have you understood the victory? Have you grasped how it was wrought? Learn how this victory was gained without any sweat or toil of ours. No weapon of ours was stained with blood. Our feet did not stand on the front line of battle. We suffered no wounds, witnessed no tumults, yet we obtained a victory. The battle was the Lord's, the crown is ours. Since then, the victory is ours. Let us imitate the soldiers and with joyful voices, voices wow. sing against the song, sing the song of victory. Wow. Death, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is thy victory? Where is thy king? The cross did all of these wonderful things for us. The cross is a war memorial erected against the demons. That's the word tropion in Greek. A, a war memorial erected against the demons. A sword against sin. The sword with Christ slew the serpent. The cross is the Father's will. The glory of the only begotten. The Spirit's exaltation. The beauty of the angels. The guardian of the glories in the glories in the cross. It is the rampart of the saints. It is the light of the whole world. This is how Augustine says it. And I'll give it back to Kyle. Then was, having was that Chrysostom? That's John Chrysostom, the first okay, one. Got it. This is Saint Augustine. Having smitten and overthrown him, he took the enemy's sword, David, and with that, cut off his head. This our David did. He overthrew the devil with his own weapons. Because remember, uh, David knocked him out, right, with the, with the stone, but he cut his head off with Goliath's own sword. And so this, the weapon that Goliath was using to kill David, David now used to dispatch the giant. And so this is what the early church fathers saw this as well. The weapon that, that, that the devil used to kill Christ Christ now uses to decapitate the enemy. Mm. And with his great ones, let me see, he overthrew the devil with his own weapons. And when his great ones, whom they ha he had in his power by means of whom he slew other souls, but when they believe, they turn their tongues against the devil. And so Goliath's head is cut off with his own sword. Christ, the, the, the devil, the demon Goliath, by decapitating with his own sword. And we do the same, he says. When we make the profession of faith, when we proclaim the cross of Jesus Christ, this is why it's absolutely to reclaim the ancient language of the church. Because this is exactly the way the early church fathers in the first four or five centuries saw Christianity. Wow. Kyle, comments? Well, Dan's precisely right. This is the world that we live. This is the air we breathe. This is the water we drink. This is the, the nature we behold. This is what it is to be a Catholic man, uh, grounded in, in your heritage, knowing exactly where you come from. And when you see there is no, there, it's no, um, uh, th there's nothing lost on the fact that modernly we have politicians who stand in front of a flag they will not defend that was won by the blood of brave men on foreign shores the freedom with which they speak and the, the very rights that they assail in this country were won by noble and valiant men of which the current speakers who use these things as a backdrop have no idea of what it is to, to win it. And we see the same with our clergy. 
We see the same when you see a James Martin stand in a Roman collar and espouse homosexuality as a norm. When you see holy fathers bring foreign idols into liturgy, when you see Freemasons freely negotiating the halls of the Vatican, when you see statues of Martin Luther in the Vatican, when you see atrocity after atrocity after atrocity, this is the misuse of heritage. This is, this is the actual hatred of one's own heritage. We saw it throughout the 60s and 70s where um, people spent and gave away uh, monetary fortunes. It took three generations to amass and one generation to waste. We are at the brink of that with regard to our faith and our heritage. We are called as men to live right roles, to live in chastity and, and in purity, to augment the merit of our prayer through mortifications, through being warriors, even when those around us are not. We cannot look to the left or the right. We must hold the line. We must do what we are being called to do as men to preserve our faith and to take it back, starting with our own domestic churches. And be sovereign in your body. Then you can be sovereign in your household. Then you can be sovereign in your community. So if you're looking at how do we preserve faith and the heritage of our faith, number one is to speak up and say, we've got to reclaim our heritage, reclaim our faith. Look at the world through the eyes of Christ and Catholicism, he who vanquished evil, and we have to stand on that victory. Let me ask uh, both of you guys, uh, just turning turning the topic to something uh, contemporary here. <clears throat> I just want to get your take on it. Uh, President Joe Biden gave a speech a few, uh, I think about two weeks ago, week and a half ago. It was the darkest speech I've ever heard any president give. It was uh, basically he he threatened half of the country or half of the people that voted or the people that voted for, for Trump. They were threatened. Uh, but what I want to talk about is the spiritual warfare aspect of that. First of all, he was the whole time that he was speaking, he was you could just see he was angry. But the backdrop, I don't think it was a coincidence. It was red, black. Uh, and I say this, I don't think this was a coincidence that they had that macabre, dark, kind of haunted house backdrop. Because I've seen uh, inside a temple of Satan in downtown Los Angeles. I've seen the way it looks like inside from the front door. And it looks exactly, I told my wife, it looks exactly like uh, Joe Biden's backdrop that he gave during the speech. Uh, you guys think that was a coincidence, that, that red and black backdrop, or do you think that it was that was by design? Well, I think uh, what uh, my sensei, Kyle Clement, said, there are no such thing as coincidences. So absolutely no coincidence in that. Um, those, that, that was, that was really dark macabre was, was a good way of saying it. Um, it, uh, um, there's, um, he has also hired the Satanists are even becoming more overt. Yeah. Taylor Morstra has done a podcast recently on this and he showed that the, 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 he's just hired someone to, to, to brought into the government to, to, to work on monkey right into, into, Work on all the informations are whatever his title is. He's a, he's an he's an outward out and out Satanist. 
He's yes. just brought back into his into his um, administration, Hillary Clinton's uh, Podesta. Uh, he's brought him back into his administration as a consultant, another known Satanist. I mean, it, it, even the secular uh, secular uh, media, uh, conservative secular media are starting to recognize, gee, there's a pattern here. They're, they're, they're hiring Satanists and Satanists are becoming more outward and more active. So you got transvestites, you've got You've got, um, you know, all these, all these, this, this whole macabre, bizarre uh, uh, group of people being assembled. And that, that speech just kind of really, really kind of reflected uh, the, the direction that, that this, these are taking our country. And, and as Kyle also says, that evil militates to absurdity. And sometimes that's a good thing because it wakes people up. People realize, oh, my gosh, this is really bad. This is something weird is going on and maybe I need to engage more. Yeah, Dan, the guy's name is, uh, he's named Dr. Dimitri Daskalaskis. He's the monkeypox deputy coordinator, and he's without a doubt a Satanist. You can, he's on social media. He has a satanic tattoo on his body. He has satanic tattoos, plural. Uh, he wears on social media, he wears satanic t-shirts, pentagrams. And, and he also runs a, a, a demonic-themed fitness center with his husband, and, and as far as John Podesta goes, John Podesta, uh, there are emails that have been uh, that have been demonstrated that he has a relationship with Marina Abramovic. Marina Abramovic is a high level Satanist over in Hollywood and in New York. And uh, she does this thing called spirit cooking. And uh, John Podesta is, uh, is is always invited to these spirit cooking. This is like. This is like a uh, a mockery of the Eucharist, where where people that go there eat some part of Marina Abramovic's body that she puts inside the food. Kyle, you got any comments on uh, on, on what's going on here, the Satanism in politics? Well, I, yes, several actually. I, th- I think to look at it from a biblical uh, perspective and a faith perspective. This is the battle between light and dark. The middle ground is is falling away. Um, what you saw the other night, uh, there are no coincidences, but you're looking at a man who is rising, riding a wave of power built upon child sacrifice, profanation of the conjugal act, demented sexual acts, homosexuality, mutilation. All of he is there because of his stance and promotion of these things. Bottom line. This is a battle between good and evil. It's not about politics. It is a battle between the children of light and the children of dark. And the that gray area, if there ever really was one, is falling away. They're militating to absurdity. It is becoming patently obvious. And at what point do we say, basta, enough, we will not have it. And so... Again, the middle ground is falling away. Our Lord said himself in Matthew 18, I come with a sword, not to unite, but to divide, to set father against son, mother against daughter. What is the sword that he comes with? Listen to the militaristic language. What is the sword that he comes with? The truth, the absolute truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life, says the Lord. And no one comes to the Father unless he comes through me, says the Lord. And so, It's a very clear thing here. When we've got clergy that militate, we've got a bishop in this country, more than one actually, who have told their knights, their fourth degree knights, that they would allow the Knights of Columbus to still exist in the diocese, but they may not carry their sword as part of their regalia. They may not carry their sword as part of their regalia. 
there is a group within the church that militates directly against any use of militaristic language. These are predominantly the homosexuals. These are the compromised. There are, when these things come out, there is no correction by the, by the, the hierarchy of the church. When there's no correction, there's complacency. And it is what it is. We no longer can interpret the deeds and the words and the silence of clergy in the best possible light. We've done that to our detriment. We've done that and said, we've said things like, well, they didn't know. Enough of that. Basta. Enough. It's against the natural law. It's against the moral law. It's against faith. It's against morals. It's against doctrine. It's against dogma. If it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it is a duck. Bottom line, we've got built-in BS meters as Catholic men. We need to use them. and We need to say, that is unclean. We need to challenge our priests when they say something from the pulpit, from the in the homily, or they give direction to our children and our wives that is not correct. Go to them individually as a man. Look him in the eye and say, you're in error. You are in error. You've lost the position of superiority that was given to you. You've we'll wasted right back. it. You've lost our trust. We're calling. We'll be right back. Hey, before we get into the Deliverance Prayer Book, I just said, I'm just wondering if you guys realize that Disney put out a movie called Little Demon. No, it's a it's a it's a TV show. It's a it's oh, an TV ongoing show. cartoon. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I well, all I can say is Walt Disney or Disney is no friend of the Catholic Church at this point in time. No, they're no friends of families. They're no friends of of, of Christians whatsoever. This is the premise of this, and I and I and I actually saw it. It was actually airing. It's not just a concept. Okay. A woman has sex with Satan, um, and has an offspring. This is a and 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 they outright out and out say this is the, they're giving birth to the Antichrist. This is a mockery of the incarnation. Uh, it's a complete mockery of of, of Christianity. And uh, and it's putting out there. It's a cartoon. It's they say, well, it's supposed to be for adults, but you know the children and young adults are going to watch it. So um, it's it's an there. We look. We need to be pulling the plug, cutting the cord on this stuff. We need to shut shut down as Christians and make take our homes back and not let this garbage uh, uh, inside our perimeter. Yeah, that yeah, good advice, Kyle. Any comments on that garbage uh, series that's that's uh, put out by Disney? Well, I think Dan's exactly right. First and foremost, we as men have to be responsible for what is clean and unclean. And that's our first that's our first obligation. And in order to be able to discharge that duty, we ourselves must be clean. So we have to work on your purity, your chastity. And this is just over the over the, the top. I will point out again, and I said this before, Walt Disney made a fortune off of talking animals. Scripturally, we only got two talking animals. One is the serpent in the garden, and the other one is Balaam's ass. So all of sacred scripture that covers all of salvation history only mentions two talking animals. Walt Disney makes a a fortune off of talking animals. And so we start with that little cute disorder, and then we militate all the way to where it's okay for single moms, single dads. It's okay, divorce is okay. Various. Um, he was always promoting the very edge of what was proper, just across the line that nobody would call him on it. But this is how far the line has gotten. 
um, the open homosexual agenda of Disney, the the militation against right order in families, um, all of these things. I, I think that it's interesting to note that all of the uh, relationships um, were somehow skewed in all of the Disney um, in in all of the Disney productions. They were some about a half a bubble off, and so Disney's never been something that we should have. Um, you know, been putting forward to our children as as something of, uh, that espouses virtue. I I I thought I'm not. Sh- I guess I, I'm I'm wrong. I think I'm wrong. But I I thought that Walt Disney, the original Walt Disney, the one that started Disney, I had read somewhere years ago that he was a Catholic. Then I've read that he was a Mason. What have you guys read about Walt Disney? Was he a man of faith or was he a secular humanist? Okay, so he he is America in the 1900s. He was both. He was a professed Catholic when it served him. He was also a high-ranking Mason. Um, Uh. Also, his current state, I think it's very important to understand his current state. Walt Disney is dismembered. His head is cryogenically preserved, and his corpus is not. Mm. Yeah. That's that's, um, very freaky, very chilling. Wow. Okay, man. Uh, people are going back to one me. thing before we go in. Yeah. I, I, and I'd like to get Kyle's comment on, on one of the things that we're living in. I, I had started to talk about this, this, this priest doctoral student that we were exchanging notes a little bit. This is what you do, you know, and uh, sitting in a library and in this beautiful ancient library in Germany. And I just threw a feeler out there to, just to part of me just being Ohio and ornery, you know, but I know I'm in Germany. I'm in the heart of historical criticism. And, uh, and, 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 you know, the heart of Boltmann and, and all the stuff that modernism has done to the, to the scriptures and then uh, on and on to the church, et cetera. You know, I'm one of these crazy biblical scholars, and I had this really weird theory. And uh, I don't know if, you, if you'll, you'll, you ever heard this before, but it's a crazy theory. And I said, uh, I had this crazy theory that John, the evangelist, the beloved disciple, actually wrote the gospel of john and he looked at me like i had three heads like (laughs) you really believe that you really believe that i said well give me one argument why you don't think i mean i said look the weight of tradition the modernist argument doesn't it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't overwhelm the weight of tradition going all the way back to 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 the very beginning in the chain of tradition on that authorship so give me a give me a good argument why not? He goes, well, he was just a fisherman, and I said, aren't you from Africa? Did you grow up wealthy? Did you grow up in a in a wealthy place and you were constantly educated as a young man, or did you grow up poor? Did you grow up with nothing? And here you are getting your doctoral degree by the grace of God. Anyway, hmm. modernism is something that is contaminating the, the the church and society, and and we must we must we must rally against it. Uh, and one of the three. St. Pius, Pope St. Pius X gave three principles of modernism in, in a document called Ad Diem Laetissimum, Laetissimum, which was on the 50th anniversary of the proclamation of the Immaculate Conception, the dogma. Number one, a denial, three, three points of modernism, denial of the doctrine of original sin and therefore sin in us, right, that, that man can be sinful, uh, disordered through sin. Number two, a denial of the of the the, the doctrine of redemptive the, the the redemptive value of suffering, and finally a denial of the supernatural. And Catholics are like, oh, that's really great. It's good to know that stuff. So, 
so I was again, I was in Germany and I and I and I'm, I have a translator translating my lecture and I say, OK, let me explain. Let me let me give you real terms. Com complete the sentence for me in German. Right. Jesus didn't get the the uh, Jesus didn't multiply the loaves. He got the people to and they all said in 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 one voice in German share. Right. Jesus didn't multiply the loaves because that would be supernatural. He got everybody to share. That's a classic example of modernism. And I don't know a single Catholic. I've never once did a complete the sentence at a, at a, at a conference that the whole entire group did not was not able to complete that sentence. It's a denial of the supernatural, a denial of original sin that we're the devil doesn't really exist. Uh, it's just evil. It's just a symbol of the evil in man's heart. No, we are depraved. We are evil apart from the grace of God and the sacraments of the church. And finally, enough, the denial of the value, the redemptive value of suffering. These are three marks that you're going to hear again and again and again in Kyle's lectures on, on, on reclamation theology. You're going to hear these three things as really pillars and foundations for for all the work uh, uh, that we're doing with Libra Cristo, the new manual that, that's that's in, 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 in the currently at the printer. Um, these things are, are essential to our faith, and we have to recapture these, right? Not just reca recapture concepts, because this is where they're, they're beating us at the, at, at the seminaries. They're teaching this to our priests. They're teaching this to our children in Catholic schools. We have, like Kyle says, we, we have to be out there. We have to know our faith, and we have to start, we have to start militating for the truth. You know, something very important, yeah, Kyle, that that, something important, Kyle, that you said right before is that uh, – and, and and Dan, you've all you said the same thing. Uh, tr without tradition, uh, you can get it wrong on Scripture, because tradition came before Scripture. In fact, Saint Paul says it in Second Thessalonians two fifteen. He says, "So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught by us, either by word of mouth, that's uh, oral proclamation, or by letter, that's written." So you see. That tradition came to us through oral communication, mouth to mouth or mouth to ear, before it was written down. And so uh, that's the problem with a lot of Catholics today is that they're in, in fact, I just saw Joe Scarborough the other day. I saw a little clip of him. He was saying, oh, I was born. In, he's on MSNBC. He, he's, a, he's a man of the left. Uh, I was uh, born and raised a Southern Baptist, and, you know, I'm kind of falling away from my faith, but I, I'm here to tell you one thing. Jesus never said anything about abortion. Read the red letters. He never said anything about abortion. Read your Bible. Joe Scarborough, the secular humanist, was coming out like he was some kind of a TBN preacher. Uh, and, and, and here's the argument now that the left is going to start using. He's the second person that used that argument. And I've, I heard it on another cable network. They said, well, Jesus never spoke about abortion, so it's a non-issue. And again, see, this is why it's important to have tradition. Because tradition, namely the document called the Didache, it does speak about abortion as something sinful and evil. Uh, you, want, you want to comment on that? Yeah, so let's go to the red letters. Let's let's go to the red letters. Do, does not Jesus say, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it? Mm. What law was he talking about? The Decalogue. What's the fifth commandment? Thou shalt not kill. You know, it's, it, don't get sucked into a battle of wits with an unarmed man. <laughs> These Protestants, 
you, you can't get sucked into that. And Dan's exactly right with the Thessalonian site is St. Paul is given primacy uh, to tradition, the oral tradition. It's given primacy twice. But I want to call your attention to a document that we as men need to read. We need to read these treasures of the church, pull these old ancient weapons out, polish them up and use them. The particular document is uh, Eterne Patris, authored by Leo XIII in the 1890s. And he's warning against, and what he's saying, he's calling for the restoration of Christian philosophy. Mm. He's calling for the restoration of St. Thomas Aquinas and those who understand the psychology and, and dynamics of the human person, that this be restored. The Jesuits militated directly against this directive. And this is not an opinion. This is an encyclical. This is a directive to all the patriarchs, primates, archbishops, and bishops of the Catholic world. That's who this is addressed to by the Pope, and it's not adhered to. And the Jesuits themselves m work against this by promoting humanism and pro by promoting ad, or, uh, ad hominem philosophy, which is the focus is on the creature, not on the creator. We've got to look back and see these were the warnings that were given by um, holy men. Uh, Pope Pius the Twelfth will write on this same subject, but Dan's exactly right when he encounters the young man um, who is blinded by modernism and relativism, who thinks the stream of conscience and, and Catholic intellectual prowess started with Vatican II. That's exactly when it was under attack. We're now speaking to, to your Baptist men, heartbreak. Colin. Okay, we'll be right back. War College Wednesday. War College. Stick around. Wednesday War College. Let me let me tell you a little bit of who who uh, Dan Schneider is and Kyle Clement. Back in the eighties and early nineties, I trained in the most in the most prominent boxing and kickboxing gym in the United States. It was called the Jet Center, and you had all kinds of world champions that trained there, boxers and kickboxers. And so, when the world champions, all of us, you know, dweebs, all of us, you know, amateurs. We were there training, working out hard, you know, hitting the bags. But when the world champions would walk in, the, the gym would close down. We would all stop what we're doing, and we would watch these guys walk into the gym and start wrapping their hands. These guys, I mean, they, they, these guys were, we call them hammers. These guys just commanded respect. Well, in the world of spiritual warfare, Kyle Clement and Dan Schneider they are the equivalent of hammers. They are the world champions walking into a boxing gym with a bunch of amateurs, you know, trying to train for a three-round fight. And so on Wednesdays, you guys are getting a real treat because I don't know any other show that has two, these two experts on on a weekly basis like I do here on Wednesday War College. Okay, Kyle, you're fin go and finish up your thought, my friend. So, and I really want Dan to come in after this, uh, tag in after this. Uh, so when your man makes the comment that Jesus doesn't say anything about abortion, we've already demonstrated that he ratified all of the law, all of the Decalogue with that statement, I come not to abolish, but to fulfill the law. 
then Jesus just ratifies all the, the Decalogue and all the law into the new covenant. That's precisely what's happening. And I don't care how red your letters are, or how King James you are, you can't see it any other way um, in any light of logic. So Jesus ratifies the law through that. He also is following a precept that is a very important precept for us to understand it speaks directly to humanism. It speaks directly to this Eterni Patris document that uh, encyclical that Leo XIII wrote. And here's the premise. Prior to humanism and prior to its, its prominence in the 60s and including its prominence at, prominence at the Vatican Council, the premise among virtuous people was this, that if it is not proscribed, it is prohibited. What does that mean? It means Jesus tells us what to do, not what not to do. The Beatitudes are all about what to do. This is proscribed behavior. And so all of faith is about prescription, not prohibition. So if it is not prescribed, it is prohibited. In the modernist, relativist, vicious behavior that is indicative of humanism, that becomes, it shifts to, if it is not prohibited, it is permissible. So we hear people say stupid things like, show me where it says I can't ride my Harley down the center aisle to communion. Well, if it's not strictly prohibited, then I must be able to do it. The absurdity issue uh, illustrates the point. Dan, what say you? Yeah, I mean, where, where you tell me, Kyle. I mean, uh, where does it say you can't, a priest can't say mass on a float? Uh, and say mass on top of a raft, right? It doesn't say that. So what's wrong with that? You're absolutely right. It's it's absurd. Um, we and we, I refer to this. I think there were two incidents in Florida and one in one in Italy where a priest actually said mass on a, on the on a raft for the people. It's again absurd. The demon militates to absurdity. We've lost it. You're you're spot on in in, in your analysis. If it's not prescribed, it's prohibited. Now, if it's not prescribed, it's permissible. Anything goes. It, down here uh, in this part of the world, the kids are, they learn at a very young age to say, you, Jesse, you probably heard this before. You're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me, okay? So if you're not the boss of me, you can't tell me what to do. And so, what? The, again, these are all the effects of modernism. When modernism rolled through humanity, um, when Pope St. Pius X condemned this, and by the way, it was in the paragraph that he lists off the three marks of modernism in which he calls, he calls the Virgin Mary exterminatrix of all heresies, exterminatrix of all heresies. This, he didn't make this term up. This is an ancient term. Uh, um, St. Saint, Saint Louis de Montfort uses this, uh, uh, this phrase as well. Um, <clears throat> this goes all the way back <clears throat> to an ancient liturgical uh, an ancient liturgical. Um, um, a mass uh, and titles in one of the masses of the Blessed Mother. Um, but modernism first began to attack scripture. So scripture gets under attack. And this is what you're hearing with this, this former Baptist so-called now expert in scripture. I always love that when you have a former Baptist or a former Catholic, they're suddenly an expert in Catholic theology. They're suddenly an expert in the scriptures because they, they once they went to Baptist Bible camp and memorized the books of the Bible. And so suddenly they understand the scriptures. It's absurd. It's absurd. So modernism attacked scripture first, and then it attacked the church, the authority of the church. And we see this in the deliverance ministry. We, we see a, a diminution of, of the authority of the church uh, and, and the collapse of, of the priesthood of the laity, right? The universal priesthood of the laity 
versus the 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 hierarchical juridical priesthood, uh, a hierarchical priesthood of the priest. They're ordained. Uh, so so we see now the scripture scripture, and then the church is under attack. Right, we start taking these modernist uh, Protestant ideologies into into the church. You know, where, where it's all functionalism. Right. Father just functions uh, in this role. We function here and we all we all uh, work together and, and do all these liturgical functions together because we just have different functions. Well, that's that's not true. There's something distinctly distinct between the priest and the lady. The distinction is both in, in essence and de- and in degree. Uh, it says in the Second Vatican Council that the distinction between the priest and the laity, et cetera, uh, essence and degree. And so the church gets under attack. And then after that, once the church started becoming weakened, and then modernism attacks natural law. And this is where we're at now. Natural law uh, um, is, is gravely under attack um, by, by modernism. And, and, and we're seeing it now. Um, we have a friend in the Virginia area that said one of the public school districts had something like 53 different boxes that you could check to declare um, the gender identified gender of your child as you enroll them into school. This is absurd, but this is modernism attack on natural law. And then finally the attack, which is now starting to begin on divine positive law, now a all out assault on the priesthood. Divine positive law or divine law is an extra layering upon natural law. Natural law, God prescribes into humanity, divine law, God now through the church adds, uh, um, um, through the church adds new precepts or additional clarifications on precepts. And we see this is what it looks like in Germany, where the, where the German bishops just voted to change the doctrine of the church on homosexuality. After assaulting the priesthood there for long enough and getting enough modernists into the episcopy, now you've got, um, now you've got all out war, war being declared on the moral teachings of the church at, at a very, very high level, at the episcopal level. By the way, uh, our, our engineer, our radio engineer, just texted me the following, and I think uh, this is a good piece of advice. He says, I had season passes to Disneyland for many years, at least 10 years ago. I noticed that the employees, the employee ranks were becoming homosexual. Even at the time, I thought it had to be a, con- a concerted effort by management in Disney to recruit homosexuals. I'm not sure when exactly Disney turned to the dark side, but it has absolutely and totally embraced it. I gave up my, my passes years ago. Something that has always stuck in my head is a comment Father Joseph Fessio said while he was visiting St. Joseph's Communications years ago. He said that Disneyland proclaimed himself the happiest place on earth. Father Fessio said, no, it's not. There's no Catholic church there. Disneyland has become an evil place on earth. Also, another thing I want to mention uh, to Dan and Kyle for uh, that, that was a brilliant argument that Kyle said that our Lord Jesus Christ said that He's come to in Matthew chapter five, He's come not to abolish the law, but He's come to fulfill the law and the prophets. Again, uh, <clears throat> He He actually repeated the Ten Commandments uh, to the rich young lad that was asking Him, "How do I get to heaven? How do I have eternal life?" And our Lord Jesus Christ Christ repeated the Ten Commandments to him, and uh, and, and and something very interesting about the word. In our English Bibles, it says, thou shall not kill. The word is actually in Hebrew. It's, the word is ratsach, R-A-T-S-A-C-H. Ratsach is actually better interpreted, better interpreted, thou shall not murder. Because there's a different word in Hebrew for kill. It's nakah, N-A-K-A-H. In other words, David nakah, he killed Goliath. 
But what the fifth commandment is talking about is ratzach. That's the word for murder. Murder in Hebrew means killing an innocent human being. And so that fits like a hand in glove uh, for for what people are doing to these, to these babies in, in, in uh, this godless procedure called abortion. Comment? Yeah, yeah. Also, in, if you look at, for example, the transfiguration um, in the Synoptic Gospels, Jesus is standing and he's transfigured before Moses and Elijah. And we know what do those two individuals represent. We see this ornately oftentimes in many of our Catholic churches. And it's just kind of cool. There's three cool guys, uh, three big name guys coming together for like a rock concert, you know, a, a star studded night of, uh, you know, um, no, w- w- what this is symbolically, the authors, God is telling us through the sacred authors that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, Moses and the prophets, right? So Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. He's not coming to abolish, but to completely and fulfill. And Emmaus walk, he says very clearly, how slow to, how hard of heart you are, how slow to believe. Did not the Messiah have to suffer? Modernism, right? The reje- rejection of suffering. Did not the Messiah have to suffer so to attain his glory and come into his glory? And then he explains all in the all in the law and the prophets that that uh, uh, wrote and spoke about him, that the fulfillment of the law, scriptures, if, if you think of it, scriptures is like uh, uh, of all the words of scripture, right? Of all the books, old, new, all the, all this together, historical, the gospels, the the, 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 the prophets. It's, it's like, uh, if you recall, remember from MASH, you know, I forget, I think MASH was on Wednesday nights or something, you know, and, uh, and Hawkeye had a still, Hawkeye had a still in, in, the, in their tent, and they would distill and make their liquor. And how do they do that? You take the mash, right? This is, I'm showing my hillbilly side here. You take the mash, you boil it, you take the solid, you turn it into a vapor, you turn the coil multiple times. And when it coil turns enough, it recondenses into a liquid form. And that purified liquid form is a, a pure alcohol, moonshine, right? And so if you do that to the scriptures, you take all the words of scriptures, everything uh, uh, that was written, uh, about Christ, the words of Christ, the deeds of Christ, St. Paul, the apocalypse, everything. And you distill it through, one drop comes through, and that drop is the Word, the Word who became flesh. It all points to Christ. Dan, that's a wrap. That's a wrap, my friends. The Wednesday War College. Just remember Dan Schneider, Carl Clement, here every single Wednesday with you, giving you high-level spiritual warfare. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you like what you hear, then let your friends know about it. Uh, uh, share this program with your friends. Up next, Gary Machuda, Hands-On Apologetics, coming to you from the Midwest Command Center. As for us three, we are EOW, end of watch. But we're never out of service for the Lord Jesus Christ and Our Lady. We're always on duty. God bless you. Keep the faith.